welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Howdy! Howdy. Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. My name is Dave, and I'm a recovering sexaholic. I'm from Franklin, Tennessee. I'll be one of your facilitators, along with Tom. Um, And Tom is from San Antonio. And the name of this uh, meeting is Boundaries and the Twelve Steps. Uh, Please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during the meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this this or any meeting. Uh, Obviously, at least making tapes here. Um, In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being broadcast live on the Internet and is also being recorded. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The broadcast and recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so that the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. So at this point, um, I guess we're going to share um, our experience, strength, and hope. And uh, and then after that, we'll have some time for um, Q&A and just... Um, uh, any sharing that you would like to do. Uh, here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. Uh, if you would like to ask a question, please come up ahead of your turn and sit in one of the chairs when it's your turn. Speak clearly into the mic so that everyone can hear you. For the sake of time, please ask just the question without going into too much detailed background information. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to to dissension or distraction, we also avoid explicit, explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honest, honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting too uh, inappropriate, inappropriately explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than on the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although, although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. And uh, so Tom and I will time each other. Okay. So, let's, uh, yeah, let's open with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. Well, I guess I will go first. I'm David. I'm a recovering sexaholic. And like I said, I'm from Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, my sobriety date is August 1st, 1985, uh, for which I'm frequently but never sufficiently grateful. Um, it's a miracle that I'm here today. Um, it's been a long road. Um, I started off in Rochester, New York in August of 1985. Um, I moved to Detroit in January of 86. And I moved to Nashville in uh, uh, July of 1988. And and I've been fortunate uh, that everywhere I've been, SA has been. And um, it wasn't in Detroit when I got there. Um, I had to start a meeting up there. Uh, There was another S-fellowship. 
and uh, but uh, it was still going when I left. It didn't last much longer after I did. But anyway, yeah, a great S and I chapter started as a result of our SA meetings that started there, and, and uh, it's still going strong. So um, I'm very grateful to be here. Um, real quickly, I first 11 years in the program, I was single and sober. Um, I got married, started dating uh, in sobriety, got married in 1986, uh, have been married for 21 years and have two children, uh, eight, 18 and 17, and the first one uh, was born when I was 46, so um, I wouldn't have any of that if I didn't, hadn't, didn't find this program in 1985. Um, topics about boundaries. Um, to be honest with you, I had never heard the term um, until I got into recovery, uh, other than as it related to uh, um, geographical references. So uh, the, the term was a kind of a foreign concept to me, and one that I really didn't come become familiar with until I'd been in recovery for a couple of years. Um, I... In, in thinking about what I was going to say, um, it occurred to me that um, I, I kind of started to learn about boundaries when I got into recovery, and uh, even though I didn't know the term for them. And for me, what a boundary was initially was learning how to take care of myself, um, becoming aware of my triggers. Um, I came into the fellowship uh my first meeting was August 7th, 1985, and uh, I was living in Rochester, New York, uh, which is on Lake Ontario. Uh, I'd always spent a lot of time at the beach, and uh, I spent the next, uh, my first meeting was on a Wednesday night, and I spent the next three Saturdays at the beach and was wondering why I was having problems never occurred to me that uh, uh, the beach was a trigger uh, until I started talking about it at meetings. And then I realized, you know, oh, that's maybe something I don't need to, to think about before I do it again. Um, uh, for me, initially, it, it was about adhering to my values. Uh, when I came into the fellowship, I was had been separated for about... Uh, two months. I'd been married for about five years, and uh, uh, my wife and I had separated. And uh, uh, immediately, people at work were trying to fix me up. And uh, I had uh, I had pretty strong faith convictions that you know I should try to to heal the marriage. And so for me, it meant. Um, not following through on on those offers. Um, initially, it, it meant also asking for help. Um, you know, I was I was reared to. Uh, my dad was a uh, World War II vet, and it was uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, take care of everything by yourself. Uh, don't ask anybody for help. And and uh, uh, so one of my earliest. Uh, boundaries in retrospect was was learning how to ask for help. Um, after I'd been around for a while, and uh, um, I was probably about two years sober when I realized that uh, I came from a really dysfunctional family. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and that uh, you know I came by all my stuff pretty honestly, to be honest. Um, my dad was uh, bipolar and multiply addicted. My mother had been sexually abused by her father. Um, we had long lines of addiction on both sides of our family. And, uh, and one of my earliest boundaries, once, once I learned that term, was limiting the time I spent with these people. Um, my dad, when, when he... Uh, I never saw anger from my dad. What I saw was rage. And uh, um, when he got really rageful, he would threaten my life. And uh, 
So I learned that, at least initially in my recovery, that I needed to, to limit my time with him. Uh, ultimately, that meant uh, about three years of not seeing my parents uh, one day at a time. Um, I also became aware of life stressors. Um, I went through a job change. My marriage ultimately ended up in divorce. Uh, my family dynamics, uh, something as simple as a time change. Um, I, I never, you know, when we changed from daylight savings to regular time, I would kind of put my head down and just try to, you know, gut my way through it. And I realized that when I got into recovery, you know, I could make some adjustments, uh, time change week. And, uh, I'm a lot nicer to be around these days, you know, when I go through time change. It's not a big, as big a deal as it used to be to, uh, to me. Um, since I got into recovery, I've moved, I've lived in three states. Uh, moving is a stressor. Changing jobs is a stressor. Um, all the, all the things that I was totally oblivious to, uh, in my addiction. Um, all the things that I always medicated. Um, these were things that I needed to establish some some uh, guidelines and boundaries around. Um, I didn't get my sponsor until uh, 1989. I was uh, I was uh, by that time uh, a little over four years sober. Every place I every place I was, I was the guy that had the most sobriety. And uh, it wasn't until I met Harvey in in uh, 1986. He didn't become my sponsor until 1989, but uh, uh, when I moved to Nashville and Harvey was there, um, I started working my steps. Uh, I had been working one, two, and three, pretty much. I'd done my first step inventory with my group, um, but I was pretty much living in one, two, and three, and and so when I met Harvey, I said, okay, I'm ready to do step four. He said, let's, let's, why don't we start over again? And... Um, and that's what we did. And uh, the first thing that I learned about working my steps was uh, cleaning my side of the street, uh, taking responsibility for my actions. Um, I like to play the victim. I had a pretty crappy childhood. Um, I had a lot of really nasty stuff happen to me. And um, it's real easy for me to say, well, I deserve, you know. Um, and I realized that uh, I hurt people. Um, you know, when I did my ninth step, particularly with my ex-wife, um, I realized, uh, you know, my my part in all that, even though that she was the one who initially left, and she was the one that filed for divorce, um, I I certainly had a lot to do with our with our breakup. Um, learning how to forgive those who had injured me, uh, my dad, um, the guy who. Uh, I spent three years away from and, and didn't reconcile. We, we tried to reconcile about three or four months before we, it actually happened. And I met him at a restaurant about halfway between where we lived. And, uh, um, and he ended up doing what he always did. Uh, he lost his temper and, and uh, I had to walk out. Um, I had to get out of the car. And... Uh, the next thing I heard three months later was my mom say, your dad's in the hospital, he's had a heart attack, he'd like to see you. And, uh, and we got back together. And uh, we spent the next, uh, that, was the night, that, that was in the fall of 1990, um, he later had heart surgery, um, later was diagnosed with terminal cancer and, and died in 1993, but in that three years, um, we had some healing and uh, and learning how to forgive him. Um, making amends. Um, I'm getting to the point now that sometimes I actually shut my mouth before I stick my foot in it, and uh, particularly around my children and uh, uh, the, the people that I'm the most comfortable being around are the ones that I really have to watch myself the most because it, I'm, I feel much more free about uh, um, feeling like I can get away with things. Um, allowing my kids to make mistakes. I have a 17-year-old and 18-year-old, and uh, 
I try to wait until they ask for advice, but sometimes I offer it anyway. Um, and uh, learning how to kind of let go of the results when I when I offer when I offer the the advice. Um, my kids are miracles. Um, our first child was uh, was uh, conceived in a test tube, and um, I have a we have a picture of him at eight cells. Um, um, so in his in his baby book is a picture of him with, at eight cells before he was implanted in my wife. And my second son is also a miracle because he was adopted, and uh, um, I got to hold him ten minutes after his uh, birth mother gave birth to him, and and uh, um, we have an open relationship with her, and and uh, he's now seventeen and looks. Looks just like her. We know their whole entire family. So, miracle after miracle. Um, I'm still learning about boundaries. I'm still doing my uh, written ten step. It took me. It only took me about 24 years to to, to do it uh, written ten step. I'd recommend if you can do it quicker than 24 years, it, it, it'll probably benefit you. But uh, um, I try to do it. It, it. it took me reading Step into Action and it, you know the book saying. Find a time in the day that works for you. In AA, it says at the end of your day. I could never do that. I was always tired at the end of my day. Step into action says find a time of the day. I try to do mine at lunchtime, and uh, uh, it works for me. And uh, writing it down in black and white helps me understand what I need to do. So that's me. I'm Dave. Um, I'm glad you guys are here. Thanks. Hi, y'all. I'm Tom. I'm a sexaholic, and I'm from San Antonio. Hey, Tom. Uh, I earned my seat here uh, through uh, pornography, fantasy, and uh, acting out accordingly because of those things. And uh, I've been uh, I've been involved with disease now for uh, over 60 years, and uh, I found this program about nine years ago. And uh, it's given me a new lease on life. And uh, for that, I'm forever uh, grateful. Um, this, uh, this is about boundaries, and there's very little written in our literature. In fact, I didn't see anything that's specified about boundaries. But I did find some things that are probably pretty uh, related to this incident. And I'd like to read just a couple paragraphs from our literature here. Uh, First of all, at 12 and 12 on page 91, it says uh, our first job is to sidestep the traps. When we are tempted by the bait, we should train ourselves to step back and think, for we can neither think nor act to good purpose until the habit of self-restraint has become automatic. Uh, the second thing was from our white book on uh, page uh, 77. And... Uh, It says, to recover from a life based on wrong attitudes, self-obsession, separation, false connections, blindness, and spiritual death requires a program of action that includes a fundamental change in attitude, character change, union, and the true connection, self-awareness, and spiritual life. And uh, finally, from uh, our big book, VA, uh, and how it works Many of our, our, our meetings here in San Antonio, we read how it works almost at every meeting, pretty much. Um, and it says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. So for me, uh, I basically led a boundaryless life regarding this disease for up until nine years ago, <laughs> actually. And I, uh, I don't have anything uh, from my family that would indicate that I should become a sexaholic or an addict of any kind. Because neither one of my parents, as far as I know, were uh, addicts of any sort. Uh, I came by this 
naturally on my own. Uh, and it started at a very young age, and it really started blossoming when, by the time I was age 12. And then it kind of stayed that way uh, throughout the rest, uh, rest of my life. Uh, I'm a lucky one. Um, even though my wife has suffered gravely because of this disease, uh, she has stuck with me. And um, we're coming up on 50 years of marriage uh, uh, next September. So, for me, I had to develop boundaries. You know, I had to, uh, since I, when uh, my boundaries are, uh, you would think, pretty straightforward. Since I have problems with pornography uh, and fantasy, uh, one of my boundaries is no pornography. And uh, that was very established very early. And I, I was discovered, by the way. I was discovered in the act of looking at pornography and acting out by my spouse. So uh, that became pretty obvious. Uh, the other one was uh, uh, no acting out. And uh, the other, uh, another boundary was uh, no, ex no sex outside of marriage. Um, which is pretty, those are all pretty mandatory, mandatory boundaries if I want to maintain any sobriety. And I want to maintain my marriage. And uh, since, uh, since my disease really accelerated and expanded during the computer age, uh, I had to give up my computer and getting on a computer. I got rid of my computer completely. Uh, and now my wife has one, but I don't, one of my boundaries is I do not operate that computer unless uh, she is present. And um, the other thing is, uh, uh, as a sexaholic, uh, I'm a very good liar. I practiced lying all my life, and so I set up a boundary of no lying, and then I have to be uh, totally honest, totally honest with my sponsor, totally honest with my wife, and I have to be totally honest to myself. That's the big one. We got I have to be honest with myself. Uh, because like it says, uh, like I just read in a big book, if you don't have honesty, rigorous honesty, chances of recovery are going to be very difficult or maybe impossible. So total honesty. Uh, some of the other things that uh, I set up kind of as a outproduct of those biggies is uh, n no restricted movies. I uh, can't go to any restricted movies. I can't uh, uh, view questionable programs on TV and uh, I'm kind of a sports fanatic, so uh, when the I record all the sports programs now. So when we go to breaks or we go to flashes of the cheerleaders, <laughs> uh, I can zip right through those and not worry about it. Uh, I already talked about no computer use loan, and uh, uh, the other thing is. Uh, uh, no following, uh, no following women in stores that I find attractive. That I find attractive, and I'm trying to get another look at. So all those things are, are boundaries for me, and I have to do those boundaries. I have to maintain those boundaries, or uh, I can. I'm tempted, and uh, once I'm tempted and let it in, uh, I have no control over it because I am powerless. I'm powerless over this disease. And if I let it in, my life becomes unmanageable. So I have to, I have to keep my boundaries. And like I said, I've been in a program since uh, for nine years, since 2008. And uh, my sobriety date is uh, July 15th of 2013. So I didn't keep my boundaries, and that's why I slipped. Uh, if uh, if I'd have maintained, I thought I had the program down pat. I thought I could flex those boundaries a little bit. And uh, sure enough, I got in trouble and I lost my sobriety. And then uh, <clears throat> I had to admit that to my wife and all those kinds of things. And uh, 
that was not a pleasant thing. So, what I've learned out of that thing is to be rigorously honest with myself and my sponsor and my uh, my wife. Uh, <clears throat> there are there are things. This is this is things that I do. Okay, uh, maybe not for we all have different, but we all have to have our own boundaries. Uh, not everybody's boundary can be like somebody else's. You got to have your own boundaries. You got to establish them yourself, and you can't you can't make a boundary for somebody else. Uh, you just have to respect their boundaries. So what I did uh, on my boundaries, uh, especially the uh, uh, no pornography or uh, things like that, is I have to admit it to my wife. And my consequence for viewing pornography is I have to move out of the house for 30 days. If I, well, if I have sex outside of marriage, it will be immediate separation from my wife. This is this has kind of been developed between the two of us. Uh, and as far as the no, uh, the M word, uh, if I do that, I have to move out of the house for 30 days also. So I, I, I think, and I think I, for me, I had to establish some kind of consequence for me uh, to maintain my strict boundaries. The lying thing, if I, if I tell a white fib, I gotta, I'm going to dust the house. And I hate dusting the house. <laughs> so that's a good consequence for me. So uh, uh, that's just been some of my experience with boundaries. And uh, um, this is a great program. Uh, I'm happy you are all here. Uh, I hope you can leave this, uh, get something out of this weekend, and you leave uh, a better person and with some ideas for recovery. Um, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Tom. We can open it up. Yeah, so it looks like we've got about uh, 25 minutes or so. So if anybody would like to share or ask a question, um, we've got time to do that. So if you're going to do that, please step up to the mic. And it suggested that if you want to speak, that we can kind of queue up and maybe some, turn some of these chairs around and, and uh, um, so that people thank you. So the floor is open. I guess I'll start us off over here. Yeah, Jacob Sexahawk. Um, hey, Jacob. On boundaries, yeah. Um, first off, I like, uh, you know, everybody has different boundaries. Um, you know, some things, uh, could, you know, people would say, yeah, I have this boundary. Um, you know, I don't restrict, I restrict my phone and this and that. Um, you know, I, uh, well, the big book says this and that, that you shouldn't avoid, you, you know, I make up all these things. Um, and that's my perspective, and that's my, my boundaries are different, you know. Um, so I need to learn how to respect other people's boundaries and not, you know, judging them. But, um, yeah, my boundaries, some of my boundaries, um, avoiding certain types of people, um, people that set certain things off in me and, People that, uh, you know, I guess kind of, you know, point fingers and, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends going through a lot of different things, uh, addicts and not addicts. Uh, thankfully I have, uh, about five, six addicts in my school in Israel. We have our, uh, we have a kind of like an open meeting, I guess, different, you know, fellowships. Um, but I have a lot of friends that in general are just trying to figure themselves out. I mean, you know, I'm young, so, you know, everybody's still trying to figure out where they want to go in life. Um, and certain friends I learned that I needed to kind of distance myself from because, uh, yeah, I should work my fourth step and uh, not get resentful, but um, I kind of have to, you know, know that balance of, you know, helping others but not putting myself in a situation that will uh, affect my sobriety. Um, I had a question that I wanted to share. If it, if it comes up, I'll, I'll share it later. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. 
Hey, my name is Tommy. Uh, I'm a recovering sexaholic. Hey, Tommy. So, uh, great session. Uh, really been interested in uh, the topic of boundaries. And um, I have a question, and then I'll have uh, some also some comments. But uh, the question is, uh, if you violate a boundary, do you reset your sobriety date? And I, I don't know if there's like levels of boundaries that you cross that you would reset or not. So that's the first question. That's the question. And uh, I've, uh, <clears throat> when I've been uh, uh, hearing about boundaries, it really makes me nervous because uh, I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> and uh, uh, the idea that you would have boundaries with consequences, like, you know, if you do this, then this, that's amazing. That's a really good one. Um, I do that. I did that on my own. Um, and uh, w what mine looked like is if I watched porn, then my consequence or what I would do is not talk to my sponsor for a while and not go to a meeting for a while, not check in for a while so that when I do check in with my sponsor, I can say, in the last 24 hours, I have done this and that and the other. So, um, so I'm really interested in hearing more um, at some point, and just I'm going to be paying attention to the consequences of boundaries. That's really good. So, thank you. Thanks, and if you Tommy. have an answer to that question, that'd be great. Thanks, Tommy. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, the sobriety, um, you know, I. I'd encourage you to listen to my sponsor's talk on what is sex with self. It's going to be following this session. So mark that one down. Um, it's really good. And uh, I plan to listen to it again. Uh, but, you know, I, I know people that, uh, that uh, reset their sobriety uh, for what may be beyond what's, what would be described in our literature, sex with self or sex outside of marriage. So, um, and, I, um, and I respect that. Um, I've, as I've sponsored people over the years, uh, I've often had that question, should I reset? And uh, I've always asked the person to make that their personal decision, you know, only, and most people that I know know when they've lost their sobriety. And uh, um, um, so uh, I've never, I've, I've had, certainly had opinions, <laughs> which I kept to myself. But, uh, um, you know, uh, it's allowing people to, you know, my, I describe my first five years in this program as coming out of a fog, um, and just be, you know, becoming aware of who I was and what I was, and and uh, it takes time. And uh, um, as a single man, I I really resented all these married guys who were having sex. And uh, yeah, it's really got to be easy. You know, it was really tough for you guys. And I, you know, hear them whining about that. And uh, and then then I got married, and I realized that uh, it, it became optional. You know, it, it was an option, and I really had to to you know to check my motives. So um, uh, this is a program, as Tom said, of rigorous honesty. And I I, I think the uh, the longer we work at it, the better we get. But uh, as uh, as Bill W. would say, you know, I'm I'm far from perfection. You know, even though that's what I'm being asked to move toward. So that 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 would be my response. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, talking uh, for as of uh, resetting your date. I think that's something that should be discussed with your sponsor, mm -hmm. and uh, and you'll. And you and your sponsor come to an agreement on that. It's a personal decision. As far as the, as far as the consequence about looking at pornography and then avoiding meetings and uh, not talking to your sponsor, uh, it's probably not a good consequence. Uh, that's probably that's probably something that you uh, only enhances your uh, desire to look at pornography again. 
So uh, I think when you uh, establish a boundary for yourself, you have to make it something that hurts you uh, as an individual. And, uh, uh, you know, and it's just it's just your boundary. I mean, you you established it, but you you got to look at the end goal here. The end goal is for sobriety and recovery. Thanks. Um, my name is Nancy. I'm a sexaholic. Nancy. I was taught um, in the white book on, on the sobriety definition, page 191-192, and Dave referenced uh, no sex with self or anyone outside of uh, a marriage. But there's a word that follows, that, that precedes those, no form of sex with self. And um, I can't define that for somebody else, but for me... A form of sex with self is something that I do intentionally to stimulate myself sexually. So I, I've used that as a... But I have a question. I'm very curious about the idea of, of boundaries and not playing the part of a victim. It's so easy for me to play the part of a victim. And I'm not sure I understand if you could give ideas of what that looks like. Well, for me, it's it's uh, taking responsibility uh, for for my actions in uh, you know in personal relations, and uh, um, you know I was I was bullied as a kid, and and uh, I was you know um, the recipient of a lot of verbal and and uh, uh, threatened physical abuse, uh, while my dad almost never hit me. Uh, he was a really large guy uh, who came really close. And uh, um, so for me, um, when particularly one of my kids or my spouse uh, causes me to get angry, um, I want to let myself off the hook and express it. And, and when they push back, you know, what was that all about? It's like, and you don't know, you don't know what rage is. You know, I didn't, I, I just didn't threaten your life. You know, that used to happen to me. And so that's, that's how I minimize what I do. And so I have to be really careful about that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the one that personally um, challenges me the most is, um, and like I said, I'm, 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 I'm beginning, you know, my kids are, 17 or 18, so I've had some, a few years of practice at this now, um, to, you know, let stuff slide and to um, keep my mouth shut. And uh, for me, that's, that's where I played the victim, is uh, um, uh, particularly when it came to anger and rage. So that, that would be my best example. Okay. Anybody else? I'm Bill from Louisiana, and uh, hey, Bill. my first 12-step recovery program was Alan, and I eventually, after getting in another fellowship, uh, SA was started in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I, I knew I was home. Don't have that time of sobriety, but I remember when I started getting healthy, talking about healthy boundaries relationally, and the word I got from my part-time sponsor or temporary sponsor at the time because he had done the big book is the word boundary isn't in the first part of the big book. I had a difficult time seeing boundaries in that how it works. I did like the point of the 12 and 12 and the white book you shared. For me, because I'm a single guy, I've always been single and the thing I've heard is you don't need to be dating. I'm like all these married guys. Well, if you look at the history of this, it's mostly married guys. You know, I still remember my first single session, and Dave's up there. He's been married 10 years or something. <laughs> I'm like, hey, where's the single people? So I've had to have single people I talk to. Because I've got a boundary of somebody who's been a practicing sexaholic in marriage telling me how to practice my program. Now, I have to work the Al-Anon program, but I don't go to that many means, but I have to set boundaries. 
because there are problems I have with people who are in this program. Now, I have to bring my lust to this program. And that's kind of what I've had to set some boundaries on. Like me, I'm older, I can talk to young sponsees the way I wish I would have had a man to talk to. You know, but I have to set boundaries on some of the marriage thing from other people. I have to set boundaries with people. And I've actually had some major health issues. I've had three types of cancers. Well, I, I've talked to people who face traumatic illnesses. That's something I can do. I try not to bring it up in the meetings, but these are things that are life issues. And, you know, I'm thankful for the Al-Anon program because I work it much better as a sober sexaholic. You know, before I was so angry I couldn't understand any of the literature. I needed the big book. Thanks. Thanks. My name is Ray. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Ray. My sobriety is 2 9 of 2015. I sit there thinking, I've got nothing to add, really. You know, and I can't help you single people because um, I'm coming from a marriage standpoint. Uh, and I feel for y'all because I, whenever I speak to uh, someone in our group and they're single, I really, I'm like, you know what, I'm telling you this, and it probably means nothing to you because you, ha you don't have a, a spouse or a significant other. But you know what? I'm hoping what I have to say, uh, find some um, hope, uh, some uh, experience, strength, and hope uh, to help you deal with your own boundaries. So um, with me, um, SA made me realize that I am but a child in my own sexuality. I am still learning what to do, when to do at the right time, in the right place. Um, and uh, and because of that, you know, I when I first started uh, with SA, I turned to my wife who constantly would catch me uh, looking at pornography and and uh, and acting out. Um, I told her, I go, you need to be my warden, basically. Um, and so what I've done. Uh, and I'm sure I'm not sure if it's going to help anybody, but uh, as far as uh, when it comes to the computer, um, I got rid of that old computer that I used to use. Um, that's no longer there. Uh, however, um, you know we we have a laptop where she is the uh, administrator. Um, she can only log me in. She can only uh, you know uh, see what I'm doing. On uh, my phone, she has, uh, I never wanted uh, the, uh, the upgraded phone. I just wanted the simple text and call because I, I had no need for anything else. But she, she would tell me, you need to get an uh, upgraded phone. You need to because, uh, you know, there's things I want to send you to show you, you know, when you're out and about and, and your stupid phone just won't receive it. So um finally got one and she put on there um, like a um, uh, an app to, to make sure I don't go, you know, to places I shouldn't go. Um, what she doesn't understand is uh, because of SA, thank God that I have no, no reason to, no wanting to, you know, because I know that um, if I do go that path, it's just going to end up to a worst case scenario in my life. I'm so grateful and happy what I have now. That is my foundation of the reasoning of that why I shouldn't lose it by doing what I shouldn't be going, which is, you know, seeking out porn and, and whatever means. Um, other boundaries uh, that I had to, to uh, I guess, uh, create or get across is um, thinking that every woman I saw is going to want me, you know, which is ridiculous. I think about that and I'm like, oh, you're such a dumbass. You know, oh, forgive me. Um, <laughs> can I say ass? I'm sorry. Um, Anyway, uh, it's, it's just ridiculous, and and um, I, I learned to avoid uh, what would trigger me. Uh, I say this in our meetings um, that um, when I go to the grocery store and, and I've got the list, you know, and, and I go down the uh, milk aisle and, and there's some, you know, blessed person there, you know, just showing her wares. Um, I tell myself, I don't need milk right now. I'm going to go get eggs. I mean, I'm going to go get bread, you know. And I trudge on to the, the bread aisle, you know. And the thing is, is 
is I tell myself I don't need blank fill in this place. You know, that, that's what I tell myself. I don't need that right now. You know, and that's what gets me beyond the triggers, beyond the wants, the needs, and all that. Um, knowing and and knowing that uh, I have someone at home who cared enough to be the I don't know the warden of of my of, of of where and what I should do in my sexual experiences, um, and that's what helps. That's what helps me. Um, and believe me, prayer also is one that sets your your boundaries big time. I pray for a whole mess of people that I see in and out. Um, my daughter uh, was a cheerleader, uh, not just cheerleader, but she was a head cheerleader. So I had to be there at every game, every practice, being the uh, being the uh, dad bus, uh, you know, busting everyone around, and and it was a wonderful experience, you know, praying and and knowing that that this disease did not did not control me, knowing that that uh, you know, come home and, and and my wife and I would talk about the experience and all that, and that would get me past. So, what was the boundary? The boundary was don't let the disease push you beyond that mark. Uh, allow yourself to be the person that you want to be without knowing that something can, I don't know, overtake you. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing, you know, uh, keep, you know, Mr. Hyde aside, you know. Um, but anyway, um, creating your boundaries and sticking to them with prayer because God has to be present. He has to be present. He can't be, you know, an exception. He has to be present always. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Hello, family. Hey, Ed. I'm Ed W. I'm a sexaholic. It's Friday, day, January 191. And um, it comes to my mind that Limits, boundaries, and liberty all go together. Um, my introduction to boundaries was in the in a non fellowship. Um, I didn't know how sick I was, so I I went to the place that would have me that had the wide open the most wide open boundaries. Um, I did not know what was wrong with me. Um, I called Alcoholics Anonymous and I wanted to join there. I didn't think I had a problem with drinking, so that's how I. Didn't end up going there because I had good boundaries, and um, I ended up in the Anon Fellowship. And there, I got to start to learn about cunning, baffling, powerful disease that I had been affected by. Still, not knowing that I was afflicted by as well. Um, it just took a process of unfolding and discarding to discover what the boundaries needed to be, starting with me. I needed to know where my limits start and stop, and I needed to be honest enough to communicate about those. And I had to be taught how to communicate. I didn't know what I felt. And I had to have people model using words to describe feelings. I had no vocabulary of that nature. And for me, setting a boundary is I feel. And... This is what I would want, and this is what I will do. Um, the objectivity of being in recovery, the objective perspective, took a long time for me to recognize because I was so full of unresolved emotional content. And until I worked the steps, I couldn't set boundaries. I was too full of garbage blocking the flow of power. Lack of power is my dilemma. And the way I connect with power that allows me to have boundaries and set boundaries for myself toward others. Um, I'm not responsible for another person, what they think, feel, or do. I am responsible for what I think, feel, and do. And that's real important for me to be in touch with. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Hi, my name is Mima. I am a sexaholic. Hey, um, 
So um, thank you everyone for being here. Um, I just want to share that my boundaries, I made them my higher power for years, even way before recovery. And uh, I had all kinds of boundaries. I had religious boundaries. I had moral boundaries. I had pride boundaries, all kinds of boundaries. And uh, I came to break them one by one. And then so many more that I didn't break yet, which I will break if I don't stay in the program. And um, I something happened a few a month ago or something, and I was sharing with a friend how I was just going around uh, checking my phone for some settings, and I just very uh, casually unsettled the filter, uh, <laughs> and um, and my friend was telling me, and how does it feel like? And I said, well, it feels terrible. They really don't know how to make filters. This is ridiculous. And... <laughs> And I resent them so much. And um, my friend told me, "Oh, that's the only thing you can find. You can't say that. Um, no, you, you don't. You don't keep your boundaries and this and that. And uh, it's true. So I know for myself, if I don't, if I don't have extreme self-honesty and extreme willingness, my boundaries will just. I don't know. My boundaries. They, they are a tool, but they're not the main root of my recovery of my sobriety, um, because even." Now, now I've been sober for almost a year. Um, I've been sober since the 16th of January, and uh, it's not thanks to... I mean, it is with boundaries, but it's definitely not thanks to boundaries um, because I want sobriety more than, I, more than I don't want to act out. So I just, just wanted to share that difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm still Dave. Uh, it, it occurred to me, um, you know, my... I was introduced to pornography at age eight, and uh, you know I can still see that first picture in my head. Um, and uh, uh, when I got into recovery, I had to stop taking Time magazine because you know I always turned to the people section first, and uh, and and so it was you know becoming aware, you know taking the action to to make the change. I, I didn't. I didn't go to movies for. I didn't go to a movie theater for, for 15, 16 years. Um, it was just you know the 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 sensory experience was too much for me. The the sound the um, I can be triggered by a smell today. Um, if I smell new mown hay, that triggers that that triggers a response in me because of something that I witnessed in, in my childhood. Um, so, um, you know, that, that's what it's been, you know, becoming aware, uh, praying, talking about it in meetings, sharing it with my sponsor, uh, doing my inventories. Um, that's, that's why I keep coming back. Um, I, I was sharing with my sponsor that I was noticing uh, people getting off the elevator at work. I, I ride an elevator up to the eighth floor every day. And he said, um, are you ready to do something about it? And uh, um, so for five or six months, I bookended, you know, getting on the elevator and getting off the elevator. Um, that's what it took. And, uh, you know, in my head I'm saying, it's over for 30 freaking years. I shouldn't have to do this. Um, but it's the minute I do that that I recognize how much I need to keep coming back. So that's, uh, where are we in time here? We've got about two minutes. So we've got time for another quick share or two. Thanks, Dave. Oh, g'day, everyone. My name's Mark. Um, hey, Mike. Sexaholic. Um, Sober since uh, May 2014. Grateful for the program. Grateful to be here. Um, I was just thinking about some of my boundaries and one that I just want to share. Um, when I got into um, recovery, uh, was I, one of the bad things that I used to do is I used to check everyone out, and I used to think that people didn't know that I was checking them out. And, and then I set a boundary to just look at heads. I thought, well, that's easy when I'm facing people, but what do I do when I'm following people? And uh, my counsellor at the time said, just look at the back of their head. And that <laughs> never occurred to me. I never thought about looking at the back of a head. Um, but that's a boundary that I have, and it works for me. And, and what I noticed was when I started to slip, I started to notice all the non-verbals that I never used to see. 
And I used to think to myself, oh my goodness, they know. And um, so that I've got a bunch of other boundaries, but that's one that's been really, really helpful for me and I have to continue to practice it every day and, and uh, be accountable for it. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. One more. Hi there, I'm Marco, recovering sexolic. Hey, Marco. I've got one question. One thing is to set boundaries. The other thing is to keep boundaries. And some boundaries seem to be easier to keep than others. And what is it? Why, why is this? And what to... Yeah, how, how do you keep boundaries? That's basically my main question. Uh, I'm, I'm David. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, I, um, I, somebody said it. Um, you know, my problem is lack of power. And uh, um, I can't do anything. And, you know, the quicker I learned that, uh, you know, the easier the boundaries became to hold because uh, I started turning them over. You know, God, I don't want to look at that woman. God bless her. Uh, um, you take it, not me. You know, uh, the white book is full of those things. Uh, you know, the first, the first one that really, uh, one of the ones that uh, God may I find in you, what I'm looking for in that person. Um, and so, the the quicker I bring God into the equation, um, you know, the easier the, the the boundary becomes to hold. And uh, and it's usually the ones that. Uh, you know, not taking the beach vacation for the years and years after living on the beach. Uh, um, it, I lived, you know, one day at a time. You know, I realized that, uh, um, you know, you know, walking to the edge of the cliff, off the edge into oblivion, but we took it. And instead of killing us, it was, you know, killing the temptation. So um, that, that's what's worked for me. Uh, with that... Do you want to read the last piece here? Sure. I think number nine there. In closing, anything uh, you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself. The shares we have heard here were told in confidence. Please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who was not actually here at this meeting at the time that it was shared. Please, what we say here, when we leave here, let it stay here. Here, here. Uh, want to close the third step, Fred? Sure. What, you want to? Yeah, let's... Uh we're going to close with the third step prayer. I know we got you pretty busy. Yeah, I'm, uh, like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com 
and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.